Well, we turn once again to Mark 10. This morning we want to focus on the last part of that, and that's the verses 28 through 31. But we will again read this entire section in context, uh, for it all blends together and is put together even in relationship to these verses of 28 through 31. Mark 10, starting in verse 17, listen to God's word. Remember what scripture says, God says. And as he was sitting, setting out to, to his, on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. He had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. And Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceeding astonished and said to him, and who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we continue each day to be reminded of the treasures of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, the treasures that are reserved for those who have such faith 
in heaven itself. We ask that we would be attentive to the cost of discipleship once again this day in our own understanding and that thy spirit would invoke in us the path of righteousness for thy sake, the gospel's sake, in terms of our own walk. May the Spirit bless us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Over the last couple of weeks, have you been thinking about Christ's words? Come, follow me. These words in Christ's ministry should make each one of us stop, pause, and examine our own hearts to see if our commitment to Christ is really what it should be. Have you allowed the words of Christ to the man of wealth and the disciples to penetrate your heart in such a way that you are a renewed, true follower of your Savior? Have you renewed your true conviction and dependency upon Christ in your own life and in your own walk? Moreover, if you have any question about how your salvation in Christ has occurred, has Christ's own words touched your soul to lift your body and soul to rejoice in thankful praise that salvation belongs to the Lord alone, that the impossible has become possible in your life, that salvation has penetrated your whole being by the power of God's sovereign grace and mercy in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yes, how wonderful it is to surrender our sinful pride into the loving arms of Christ to embrace us he himself who embraces us when we know that in ourselves we have no hope of saving ourselves. Our hope is in nothing less than Christ's righteousness. Well, as we return to our narrative, the cost of discipleship could not be embraced by the man of wealth. He walks away from Jesus, discouraged by Christ's command to sell all that he has and come and follow Christ and secure the treasures that are in heaven. Moreover, the disciples are in shock, we have seen, with Christ's words about the impossibility of a rich man entering heaven on the basis of his own accomplishments. Hence the disciples need further understanding and training that salvation is solely dependent 
dependent upon the sovereign work of God's grace in Christ alone. No human being has a trophy that provides a right to the riches of heaven. Well, are the disciples finally grasping that salvation is totally by the sovereign grace of God himself? Well, as you can see in the text there in verse 28, enter Peter, enter Peter. Peter speaking on behalf of the disciples. Interestingly, we come to a fourth incident of looking in this section. The other three was Christ looking, if you recall from our previous messages. Verse 21, verse 23, verse 27. But now, Peter looks, verse 28. Peter began to say to him, to Christ, see, the word there also has the meaning of look. Look, Jesus, we have left everything and followed you. In view of the failure of the man of wealth, Peter, on behalf of the disciples, even after the direct comment by Christ concerning how eternal life comes to the sinner, presents an attitude that seems to invoke self-congratulations. <laughs> Simply put, the man, of health, the man of wealth could not follow Christ's demand. But we, Peter and the disciples, we have done it. We left everything and followed you. Congregation, let us pause here for a moment. We have noted that the central idea in Christ's teaching on the issue of discipleship is self-denial. Our own denial of self in order to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. But like any teaching by our Savior... Sinful humans can turn it into something dangerous in the life of the believer. In this case, one can turn the truth of self-denial into a declaration of pompous self-piety. Into a proclamation of self-righteousness or works righteousness. Instead of just living the Christian life in humility before Christ through his spirit. Well, if Peter and the disciples are, are trying to turn Jesus' demand of self-denial into a meritorious achievement, Christ is about to underline strongly what the life of being a disciple, a follower of Christ looks like. Here comes Christ's emphatic statement. A profound teaching is about to be stated. 
and it must be heard. Notice the phrase there by Christ in verse 29. Truly I say to you. Ah, that's an intention getter. That's a very important phrase when Christ uses that. You need to be listening. It's the same phrase that he used when he talked about that you must receive the kingdom of God like a child. Back in chapter 10, verse 15. As, a, as the very source of salvation, Jesus is telling the disciples what the cost of discipleship will look like in his church. Please notice Christ's use of the past tense here in verse 29. Look at the phrase, there is no one who has. No one who has. He is telling the disciples soon to be apostles about those whom they will witness leaving their homes to follow Christ. Those who will come to the good news, the precious news of the treasures of eternal life in the kingdom of God. Do you understand where Christ is placing his disciples right here in verse 29? Do you understand where he's taking them? He is placing them right into the context of their future ministry. Their future ministry as apostles and evangelists of the message of salvation that is found in Jesus. They are about to see the almighty transforming power of God achieve what no human in their own power can achieve the total conviction of sinful and depraved hearts reconciled, reconciled to a holy and righteous God through the sacrificial blood of Christ. Discipleship means complete surrender of self and dependency upon God to redeem the debt of sin. The apostles will preach Christ as the only source for salvation and the Holy Spirit will melt the sinner's heart unto an eternal inheritance with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes, the apostles are about to see what the sole power of the Holy Spirit is going to achieve when they proclaim, they proclaim the words of Christ into the world. Come, follow Christ. Surrender all your self-identity to the identity you have. In Christ. And for those who beckon into or unto the universal call of the gospel, the cost of discipleship will cause quite a change in their surroundings. Are you ready 
for what is going to happen because of the impact of Christ in the gospel upon family, children, and human property. Verse 29. Because of the power of Christ and the gospel, numerous people who have received the gift of faith will leave brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, and even their own children and their own land or property, all for the sake of their total commitment to and love for Jesus Christ. We have a number of people in our own congregation who are living this actual road of discipleship in their own lives. Is it easy? Not at all. It can be a real struggle and painful at times. But the commitment and surrender to a life of communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ is written upon the heart of the believer not to forget praying to God who can make what is humanly impossible possible among our own family members who do not believe. We have that. Many have shared that in this congregation on that prayer list that you're praying for week after week for those who are lost in our own families. That's the heart of the true believer. God alone saves sinners and places them in the household of faith. When this act of salvation occurs, an incredible transition occurs concerning your family relationships. You talk about the life of abundance. The transition which the apostles are about to experience in their own ministry is the transition from moving out of sinful households to witnessing the abundance, the abundance of new believing homes with new believing family relationships. Not only would the Holy Spirit bring forth the abundance of new households under the new covenant, but more importantly, all true believers will be bonded, will be bonded together in Christ's church as the family, the family of God. Mark has been laying out this transition in Christ's own person, in Christ's own person, with his own family. Mark does it quite uniquely in his gospel. Do you recall chapter 3, verses 20 and 21? That Jesus' own family had heard of his healing. They had heard about his teaching ministry. 
So they come to seize him, the text says, because they held that he was, remember the phrase that Mark uses there? They held that he was out of his mind. Jesus was out of his mind, according to his own family. Well, <laughs> soon after this incident, Mark recalled, records the situation when Christ's mother, Mary, and his brothers come to see Jesus while he is teaching a crowd. Those in the crowd say to him, your mother and brothers are outside seeking you. Chapter 3, verse 32. Now, as you recall, Jesus' famous response to the crowd in verses 33 through 34 of chapter 3, we should be able to easily connect the dots to our text this morning and Christ's comment about the family here in verses 29 and 30 of our text this morning. Jesus says to the crowd back there in chapter 3, verses 33 and 34, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here is my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. I hope you are seeing that chapter 10 verses 29 through 30 follows Christ's same train of thought in verses 33 and 34 of chapter 3. The true family of God. The true brothers and sisters and mothers of Christ are those who do the will of God. That's what Jesus says. And, and what do we now know as believers to be the true will of God? We know we have received the invitation to come. Surrender, surrender our own identity as we are filled with Christ's identity through the Holy Spirit. Now through Christ's Spirit, we follow Christ's will revealed in his word. And what is the reward of being a disciple and a follower of Christ? Of course, many Christians throughout the Christian world are poised with an answer to that question. If I act in surrendering myself by coming and following Christ, the true believer in contrast to that man of wealth will be blessed with the abundance of health and wealth in this world. Yes, we are told that the health and wealth gospel is right here on the mouth of Christ. As there in verse 30, believers receive a hundredfold in this life. Well, <laughs> we need to slow down. We need to look at the text more closely. Connect the dots once again. We are back to the parable of the sower, aren't we? 
immediately after the third negative response that Christ presents concerning the preaching of the word of God. That is the response that has been accented in the man of wealth when the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word out of him. Christ speaks of the word sown on the good soil which bears fruit 30, 60, a hundredfold. Chapter 4, verse 20. You see the connection, right? Not only will the word bear the beneficial fruits of redemption in the life of the believer, but also take note that those who believe in Christ will receive a hundredfold of new family members. No one should be alone in the church. No one. A new household of brothers and sisters and mothers and lands. The good soil which brings forth its fruit from every nation and tribe. There is nothing here from the Lord Jesus Christ about the health and wealth gospel. Christ is speaking here to his future apostles about the transition from ethnic Israel to the new Israel. You, the church, the transition from those who are your blood relatives in the flesh to your spiritual relatives in Christ. The transition from the old covenant church to the new covenant church. This precise transition in redemptive history was what Christ was trying to impress upon the mind of the crowd and his own mother, brother, and sisters in his ministries. In our passage this morning, Christ is crystallizing this truth of the gospel as the good news will go forth into all the world. But Christ is not done spelling out the spectrum of our life in his church. He is not done in spelling out the cost and life of what that means. What coming and following him will look like for those who have, are committed to be fully dependent upon God for their salvation. And do not forget that any person who obeys the call of the gospel to follow Jesus will have come under the conviction of their sin in an act of repentance and faith. That theme pervades the whole gospel of Mark, Mark 1.15. If you are a true disciple of Jesus Christ, 
Are you willing to hear the rest of Christ's comments here? Are you? Or are you saying, great, I've got it. Jesus, I understand. You can stop there. I truly understand that Christ's church is made up of all nations, races, and tribes on the surface of the earth. This is the true family of God. Our church here at EOPC is a great, is a great example of that in terms of the blend of Christ in our church with respect to people from various, various backgrounds. How precious and glorious that picture is. Therefore, we can stop. Pack it up. Have our fellowship meal. Go home. Not so fast. Christ will underline for us what the era of the New Testament church will have to endure as long as she is on earth. Which let's really see if you're still in. Let's really see if your commitment is really that strong. Do you remember the second warning of Christ in the parable of the sower? The people will flee when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word of God. Chapter 4, verse 17. Well, Christ is very clear about the time period when the word of the gospel will harvest in the family of God. A hundredfold, he says in our text, the church through the Holy Spirit. Those who are followers of Christ will have to endure an era that Jesus calls. What does Jesus call the era that you're in right now? So many Christians don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what Jesus is saying. It's the era of persecutions. It's the era of persecutions. Verse 30. But for those who endure in true faith, in the era of persecution, God will bring each of them, each one of us, into the age to come, which is the age of eternal life. Verse 30. So, <laughs> we are back to the opening question. By the man of wealth, aren't we? We're back to verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Have the words of Christ impacted your heart, your life throughout this section? You inherit eternal life solely by the act of God's sovereign grace in Christ. Through the Holy Spirit, you are called to come and follow Christ. Surrender all in terms of your own identity to be conformed to the identity of the image of Christ. You proclaim by repentance and faith that you have left your old family for the family of God, the church of Jesus Christ. You embrace the cost of following Christ. The world hates you because you love Jesus. You understand that your present life is defined by suffering. We are the persecuted body of Christ only to realize that the body they may kill, but your soul will be preserved by Christ and his spirit so that your soul and resurrected body will inherit eternal life where your love for Jesus will be expressed in glorifying and enjoying Christ forever and ever. How good is that? <laughs> yes, the life of Christ's church, the life of discipleship is described by Christ himself. The pattern of life for the disciple and the follower of Christ is very simple. Earthly persecution to eternal exaltation. That's the pattern of the Christian life of discipleship. Earthly persecution to eternal exaltation. And as the final eschatological era that means the final end of history. Jesus is using that idea and term here in the text. As that has begun with the ministry, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, those who want to hold on to the former era of ethnic Israel, family relatives, that era that came first will find themselves last. But those who by grace have heard Christ's call and have embraced his call to leave all your earthly identity to follow Christ will be first. Verse 31. The era of Christ's church, which came last in history, is now first. Is now first. And you're in it. You're in it. Yes. The final eschaton, meaning the last era 
has entered the glorious inheritance of eternal life. Oh, congregation, what a glorious reward for all who repent of their sin and believe in Christ alone for their redemption. Is that you? Is that you? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. Yes, we do not meditate enough upon what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we do surrender ourselves. We can so much focus upon ourselves, but help us to see such a great transition. Give your counsel, give your love, give your grace to those who have, even in our congregation, who has left family and all things in terms of their own fleshly world to be joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask also that you would bless us who are also here this morning who have been raised in that covenant home that we ourselves would see the perseverance of your grace upon us. Help us to see even and have our eyes wider that we are in the blessed family of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only here, but we're reunited to all our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Thank thee, O Lord, for we are not alone. In Christ's name, amen.